You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and this is Pain.tv slash Gold. All right, folks, and in case any of you are asking, if you're just tuning into the Dustin Gold Standard for the first time or have listened to a few episodes, no, I am not Jewish. My last name really is Gold. Okay, so I grew up Protestant. My mother's mom, my grandmother, was from Japan. My mother's father was Scottish, Irish, English. His family had settled here hundreds of years ago. And he served in the army. And during the Korea War, he was stationed in Japan. And so he met my grandmother, who was a librarian on an army base, a U.S. Army base, and then brought her back to the United States. My mother was raised Protestant. I was raised Protestant. My father's mother was Italian and Catholic. My father's father, his family came from Austria, and they were Jewish, but he was secular. And so my father was raised with both Jewish and Catholic traditions. And eventually, I think he told me he was, I don't know, six or seven years old. His parents finally said, you need to pick whether you're celebrating Hanukkah or Christmas. I believe he picked Christmas. So anyway, during my life, uh, going to church every Sunday with my mother until I was about, I don't know, 12 or 13 years old and then as i got older and would sleep over friends house i would go to the catholic church a lot because a lot of my friends were catholic so if i slept over on a saturday night their parents made us go to uh, church with them but i used to go to church every sunday and i believe uh, based on my memory my father probably went to church with us a total of about nine times they were probably all christmas eve services of which i'm going to one with uh, maggie and willie g at a little church we found she grew up catholic in poland but we found uh, a little i think a presbyterian church or something we're going to go to and bring willie for his first uh, christmas eve service ladies and gentlemen so in case you're asking no i did not grow up uh, jewish i'm not jewish i don't uh, identify as jewish although i should i'd probably have a lot more money if i did folks if i did and if i sat here and i cheered on the actions of uh, israel i'd probably move up the rankings on this show make a lot of money and then complain that i'm being attacked and anti-Semitism, this and that. But no, I, you know, so yes, I'm a quarter uh, Jewish, but according to the Jews, I wouldn't be anyway because my mother is not Jewish. So the Orthodox Jews wouldn't really even recognize me as uh, Jewish. Even if I converted, I wouldn't be technically in the tribe, as they would say, in the tribe. Just so you know, because uh, in the world of politics and political commentary, I think you got to make that clear, and I forget to do that so people don't think I'm some uh, Israeli Mossad agent or anything like that, folks. No. Uh, all right, let's continue into Alinsky's college studies. It says in 1926, Alinsky entered the University of Chicago. He studied in America's first uh, sociology department under Ernest uh, Burgess and Robert E. Park. 
overturning the propositions of a still ascendant eugenics movement burgess and park argued that social disorganization not heredity was the cause of disease crime and other characteristics of slum life as the passage of successive waves of immigrants through such districts had demonstrated it is the slum area itself and not the particular group living there with which social pathologies were associated yet alinsky claimed to be unimpressed what quote the sociologists were handing out about poverty and slums end quote quote playing down the suffering and deprivation glossing over the misery end quote was quote horse manure end quote so it'd be interesting to take a look at uh this stuff here since obviously these uh professors were coming out of the eugenic movement there goes on to say the Great Depression put an end to interest in archaeology. After the stock market crash, quote, all the guys who funded the field trips were being scraped off Wall Street sidewalks, end quote. A chance uh, graduate fellowship moved Alinsky on to criminology. For two years as a, quote, non-participant observer, quote, he claims to have hung out with Chicago's Al Capone mob. He explains that as they, quote, owned the city, end quote, they felt they had little to hide from quote a college kid end quote among other things about the exercise of power he says they taught him was the quote the terrific importance of personal relationships end quote alinsky took a job with the illinois state division of criminology working with juvenile delinquents and at the juliet state penitentiary he recalls it as a dispiriting experience if he dwelt on the contributing causes of crime, such as poor housing, racial discrimination, or unemployment, he was labeled, quote, a red, end quote. All right, so if he was talking about these things, I told you, Alinsky is a very complicated character because I think as a lot of us are starting to look at the world through new eyes now now that we've gotten over 2015 to this point in our history we're able to look at things through a new lens and so you'd say okay he's in there trying to organize the poor he's trying to end poverty he's trying to teach these people how to stand up to themselves for themselves trying to organize them against corporations trying to teach them how to stand up to government stand up to injustice you'd say well that's not such a bad thing maybe before i would poo poo something like that but maybe it's not so bad but you're gonna see he was also very manipulative uh i mean maybe and and i'll be honest if i see it through new eyes as we start to review this i'll point it out and say wow i see this differently than i did 10 years ago but you're gonna see how he manipulates people i think i'm still gonna see it that way if i remember it clearly in my head All right, let's look at his uh, community organizing. Again, we're still over here at Wikipedia. I'm going to break some of this down, and we're going to get into a few articles that I have before we start to look at this interview with Saul Linsky. It says the uh, the back of the yard's neighborhood council. All right, and he was very famous for this. It says, in 1938, Alinsky gave up his last employment at the Institute for Juvenile Research, University of Illinois at Chicago, to devote himself full-time 
as a political activist. In his free time, he had been raising funds for the International Brigade, organized by the Communist International in the Spanish Civil War and for Southern sharecroppers, organizing for the Newspaper Guild and other fledgling unions, fighting evictions and agitating for public housing. He also began to work alongside the CIO, the Congress of Industrial Organizations, and its president, John L. Lewis, in an unauthorized biography of the labor leader. Alinsky wrote that he later mediated between Lewis and President Franklin D. Roosevelt in the White House. Okay, so that was another book that Alinsky wrote. It was this unauthorized, sort of unofficial biography of John Lewis, who was the president of the congress of industrial organizations um all right it goes on to say alinsky's idea was to apply the organizing skills he believed he had mastered quote to the worst slums and ghettos so that the most oppressed and exploited elements could take control of their communities and their own destinies up until then specific factories and industries had been organized for social change but never whole communities end quote in the belief that if Alinsky could uh, trial his approach in these neighborhoods he could do so successfully anywhere Alinsky looked to the back of the Chicago stockyards, the area made infamous by Upton Sinclair's 1905 novel, The Jungle. There, with Joseph Megan, a park supervisor, Alinsky set up the back of the yard's neighborhood council, the BYNC. According with the uh, archdiocese, the council succeeded in rallying a mix of otherwise mutually hostile Catholic ethnics, Irish, Poles, Lithuanians, Mexicans, and uh, Croats, as well as African Americans, to demand and win concessions from local meat packers. In January 1946, the BYNC threw its support behind the first major walkout of the United Packing House workers. It says landlords and uh, city hall. That was just adding on here. So it was local meat packers, landlords, and city hall. Goes on to say this and other efforts in the city south side to quote turn scattered voiceless discontent into a united protest end quote earned an accolade from illinois governor uh, adley stevenson Alinsky's aims quote most faithfully reflect our ideals of brotherhood tolerance charity and dignity of the individual end quote in founding the BYNC, and we'll see all this in the documentaries that I'm going to play, folks, over the next few episodes, but in founding the BYNC, Alinsky and Megan sought to break a pattern of outside direction established by their predecessors in poor urban areas, most notably the settlement houses. The BYNC would be based on local democracy, quote, organizers would facilitate, but local people had to lead and participate participate end quote residents had to quote control their own destiny end quote and in doing so not only gain new resources but new confidence as well quote some of saul's real genius end quote according to one observer was quote his sense of timing and understanding how others would perceive something saul knew that if i grab you by the shoulders and say do this do that and the other you're going to resent it if you make the discovery yourself you're going to strut 
because you made it end quote. And we've heard that before, right? This is what you do in sales. You sort of walk someone into a trap and make them believe that they came up with the idea. You don't get all the glory, and that's fine. Your job is to sell them something. And so that's what Alinsky was very good at. You're going to see this in some of the documentaries. Now, let me point out here, folks. This is what I've talked about on several episodes. When you go back here, we're talking about 1938, right? 1938, 1940. And he was going in there. Arlinsky was going into these ghettos, into these uh, neighborhoods, and helping the folks there organize in their local communities. Well, one of the reasons why we face the problems that we do today is because we live inside of this globalist society. So if you wanted to walk around, let's say you live in a typical uh, you know, middle to upper middle class suburb somewhere in a subdivision with a quarter to half acre lots of land, and you wanted to organize those folks against central bank digital currency or universal basic income, you wouldn't be able to do it. You wouldn't be able to do it because people already live inside of a culture of technocracy, but also a culture of globalism. As I pointed out, I think, in the interview with Dan on episode 115 with Dan Golvach, I was saying that the people are sitting on their phone, just scrolling their Facebook timeline or scrolling their Twitter timeline or their TikTok or YouTube, whatever it may be. And their focus right now at this very moment is a guy in Russia who claims that Putin yelled at him and told him he was going to kill every last Ukrainian. And the guy next to him, right, he is sitting on his phone concerned about some Muslim in China who says he was locked up in a camp and forced to make denim overalls. You know, and then you have another guy who's sitting on his phone and he's worried about the plight of the African tribesman who's being forced out of his city by a pack of rabid lions. You see, so people are actually living in this world, this personalized, choose your own adventure feedback loop brought to you by social media by semantic search results on Google, uh, by mainstream media, by entertainment, by influencers. And so they have no idea what's actually going on and what's going to affect them right here. Well, Alinsky had the ability to go in and organize a neighborhood. And to get a neighborhood when there was no internet, people's focus was their neighborhood. To organize a neighborhood back then was not an impossible task, even to organize it against powerful corporations and a corrupt government. And so I believe I saw the final chapter in that back in 07 and 08. And I've talked about it on the show when I was organizing folks in the city of New Haven, because even back then. In 07, 08, Facebook wasn't a huge thing. We had a website we would direct people to. We might have had a Facebook page. It might have been the very beginning of it. But people's focus was on local government, on their neighborhood, even on state government. And so it was much easier to organize people. And we weren't organizing them against 
a national issue or a global issue. We were trying to organize them around a local issue. So this is one of the dangers that Dan and I talked about is the internet and why we weigh it as a net negative on culture, on society, on humanity, because it has driven us into globalism. And therefore now it is almost impossible, if not impossible, to organize people locally uh, to fight back because they're not introducing CBDC or UBI at the local level. It's coming at the world level, at the global level, all right, ladies and gentlemen? So this is why we need to also look at Alinsky, one of the reasons why I wanted to bring him back up here, because we need to see if there's any ability to take some of the tactics and methods that he had and apply them uh, to what we're talking about, what we're doing today, because I don't want to just totally give up the fight, even though I do believe the majority of this is inevitable in the climate that we're currently in. I still don't want to give up the fight. I'm still going to uh, be pulled towards my drive, my desire to want a war game, a battle against the people that have waged this battle against us, against all of humanity. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. I'm going to wage a battle against this show and take us to a short break. My name is Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard. I'll be right back right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. I am Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. Folks, think about joining us over there at pain.tv slash gold, where you will get access to the ad-free video version of this podcast, the Dustin Gold Standard, as well as the Thomas Payne podcast, featuring Mike Moore, and of course, on Friday's co-host, Maria Albanese, a good friend of mine. Mike is doing a lot of great work over there. He's dissected, analyzed, and called out pretty much everything ahead of everyone else on COVID Land, the high school theater production, going all the way back to the launch of COVID Land. He was ahead of the curve, ladies and gentlemen. So support us over there. Get access to a community of like-minded folks on a Facebook-like mobile application and website where you can teach people and learn from people, connect with people, meet some really nice people over there, talk to them on the phone, turn them into real-life friends. I'm already doing that with a number of people over there at pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks. All right, let's continue here. This is another project, the Industrial Areas Foundation. So in 1940, with the support of Roman Catholic Bishop Bernard James Shell and Chicago Sun-Times publisher and department store owner Marshall Field, Alinsky founded the Industrial Areas Foundation, a national community organizing network. The mandate was to partner with religious congregations and civic organizations to build, quote, broad-based organizations, end quote, that could train up local leadership and promote trust across community divides. For Alinsky, there was also a broader mission. All right, let me just say this. You're going to see this. He actually had some very unique, 
unique tactics that he used when he was partnering with the uh, Christian side of uh, religious beliefs, folks. You'll see this in a number of the documentaries. Now, if you take what Alinsky was doing then and put it into context of today, let's say I wanted to play the part of Saul Alinsky and go out there and try to utilize what's left of you know, the religious right to organize folks. I mean, I, you're seeing some grifters do it now, folks, growing out of the whole QAnon saga. Well, you're seeing some grifters doing it now. But if I wanted to go that route, it's almost like what Alinsky was doing, and you'll see this. In some ways, he was keeping these people in a cycle of poverty. At least that's how I remember it from years ago. And what he was doing is he would... Um, Say, hey, we're being disenfranchised. This ghetto sucks. Give us public housing. And by getting them public housing, he was just cementing them into a life of poverty while telling them he was lifting them out of poverty. So this would be the equivalent if I founded an organization called uh, Stop the Abuse by Artificial Intelligence, right? Stop the Abuse by Artificial Intelligence, the SAAI organization. And I got Peter Thiel to fund me. And I know people say Thiel and Thiel and Thiel and Thiel. I say Thiel because this way when you guys are hearing the name and you haven't heard it before, you're going to look up T-H-I-E-L, not T-I-E-L. I want you to be able to find it. So Peter Thiel. And I got him to fund me. But what I did is I ran around and I started talking to religious organizations. And instead of doing what you think I'd want to do, which is warning people about artificial intelligence and robots and technology and central bank digital currency and brain chips and all this stuff. Instead, I said, folks, these damn technocrats, these damn transhumanists, remember, I'm being funded by Peter Thiel, a technocrat and a transhumanist. I'm saying these damn guys are trying to put us out of work. They're going to put us out of work with artificial intelligence. Therefore, therefore, we demand universal basic income. I'm not asking you to stop it. I'm not asking you to burn down their laboratories. I'm not asking you to put down the smart devices and stop using their technology and helping them build the prison planet. I'm driving you into the system under the guise that I'm fighting against the system. And I think you're going to see a little of that from Alinsky. And this may explain what role he played in some of this is that he was driving people into the arms of poverty while pretending to be trying to lift them out of poverty, trying to organize them against the man while he's really driving them into the slave plantations owned and controlled by the man. And it would be the same thing if I did that. If I said, folks, AI is going to destroy us. It's taking our jobs. The only way to stop this is for the technocrats to pay all of you universal basic income. And you go, yay, yay, Dustin is looking out for us. He's the greatest thing since Jimmy Hoffa. He is leading us. He he is the power of the people but instead i'm just cementing you into a life of poverty and control by the man so let's just try to keep our eye on that as we get deeper into saul linsky over the next few days it goes on to say 
In what 60 years later, with publication of Robert Putnam's Bowling Alone, the collapse and revival of American community would have been understood as a concern for the loss of, quote, social capital, end quote. In his own statement of purpose for the IAF, Alinsky wrote, in modern urban civilization, multitudes of our people have been condemned to urban anonymity to living the kind of life where many of them neither know nor care for their neighbors. This course of urban anonymity is one of eroding destruction to the foundations of democracy. For although we profess that we are citizens of a democracy, and although we may vote once every four years, millions of people feel deep down in their heart of hearts that there is no place for them, that they do not count through the iaf alinsky spent the next 10 years repeating his organizational work quote rubbing raw end quote as the new york times saw it quote the scores of discontent end quote and competing action through agitation quote from kansas city and detroit to the farm worker barrios of southern california end quote you see that's like a barack obama line from kansas city and detroit to the farm work barrios of southern california yes we can yes we can goes on to say although alinsky always had rationalizations his biographer Sanford Horwitt records that, quote, on rare occasions, end quote, Alinsky would concede that not all of his mentored projects were, quote, unequivocal successes, end quote. There was uncertainty, uh, uh, there was uncertainty about, quote, what was supposed to happen after the first two or three years when the original organizer and or fundraiser left the community council on its own, end quote, recognizing that the IAF could not be, quote, a holding for people organizations and quote alinsky thought that one solution would be for community councils under their native leadership to constitute their own intercity fundraising and mutual assistance network in the early 1950s alinsky was talking about quote a million dollar budget to carry us over a three-year plan of organization through the country end quote the usual corporate and foundation funders proved decidedly cold to the idea successes could also be problematic in chicago the back of the yards council set itself against housing integration and offered no objection to a pattern quote of urban renewal end quote with which alinsky professed himself quote fed up end quote quote the moving of low income and almost without exception negro groups and dumping them into other slums end quote in order to build houses for middle income whites there being quote no substitute for organized power end quote in 1959 alinsky concluded that what the city needed was a powerful black community organization that could quote bargain collectively end quote with other organized groups and agencies private and public and we're going to see this we're going to see this uh, as a theme throughout the documentaries that we are going to break down here uh, over the coming days Uh, let's continue another uh, project he worked on mentoring in the woodlawn organization 
With the groundwork prepared by his deputy, Edward T. Chambers, Zelensky began mentoring the Woodland, uh, Wood, Woodlawn Organization, the TWO, based in Woodlawn Community Area on Chicago's south side. Like other IAF organizations, TWO was a coalition of existing community entities, local block clubs, churches, and businesses. These groups paid dues, and the organization was run by an elected board. The TWO moved quickly to establish itself as, quote, the voice, end quote, of the black neighborhood, mobilizing, developing, and bringing up new leadership. An example was Arthur M. Brazier, the first spokesperson and eventual president of the organization. Starting out as a mail carrier, Brazier became a preacher in a storefront church and then, through TWO, emerged as a national spokesman for the Black Power Movement. In 1961, to show City Hall that TWO was a force to be reckoned with, Alinsky combined, quote, two elements, votes, which were the coin of the realm in Chicago politics and fear of the black mass, end quote, by busing 2,500 black resident citizens down to City Hall to register to vote. No administrator in Chicago is said ever to have forgotten that image. Through TWO, Woodlawn residents challenged the redevelopment plans of the University of Chicago. Alinsky claimed the organization was the first community group to not only plan its own urban renewal, but even more important to control the letting of contracts of building contractors. Alinsky found it, quote, touching to see how competing contractors suddenly discovered the principles of brotherhood and racial equality, end quote. Similar conversations were secured from employers elsewhere in the city with mass shop-ins at department stores, tying up bank lines with people exchanging pennies for bills and vice versa, and the threat of a, quote, piss-in, end quote, at Chicago O'Hare International Airport. Now, you're going to see a lot of these tactics he used were, frankly, very innovative, folks. They were. And we used some of these tactics uh, in the state of Connecticut when we were fighting the corrupt, entrenched Democratic mayor, John DeStefano. We used to call him King John. He was a little bit flamboyant, folks. I'll get into this over the next few episodes. We'll weave in some personal stories, some of the tactics we use there. If any of you guys are thinking about uh, going out there and trying to organize, I can give you some really good ideas. We were effective. For what we were doing and how small we were, we were quite effective. Goes on to say, for Alinsky, the quote, essence of successful tactics, end quote, was, quote, originality, end quote. When Mayor Daley dragged his heels on building violations and health procedures, TWO threatened to unload a thousand live rats on the steps of City Hall, quote, sort of share the rats program, a form of integration, end quote. See, that's genius. Goes on to say, any tactic that drags on too long becomes a drag itself. No matter how burning the injustice and how militant your supporters, people get turned off by uh, repetitious and conventional tactics. Your opposition also learns what to expect and how to neutralize you unless you're constantly devising new strategies. Alinsky said that the quote, uh, the, uh, said he, quote, knew the day of sit-ins had ended, end quote, when the executive of a military contractor showed him blueprints for the new corporate headquarters. Quote, and here, the executive said, is our sit-in hall. 
you will have plenty of comfortable chairs, two coffee machines, and lots of magazines. You are not going to get anywhere, end quote. Uh, Alinsky concluded, unless you are, quote, constantly inventing new and better tactics, end quote, that move beyond your opponent's expectations. So you're going to see, that's a really good one, right? So the day of sit-ins where you would bus a bunch of people over to the corporate headquarters of Walmart and have them walk in and sit in the lobby. Well, the corporate headquarters started saying, oh, really? Well, now we're going to build sit-in rooms, and we're going to treat you like gold. You're going to get coffee. We're going to give you some cookies, and you can sit in there and bitch, whine, and complain as much as you want. Now, what we're going to get into as we dissect Alinsky, because we're going to look at him from all different sides, I said, was he an opportunist? Was he the precursor to a Jesse Jackson or uh, Al Sharpton. If you folks aren't aware of those two and what they used to do, they would do corporate shakedowns. So they would claim to be organizing the black community for their own good. But in reality, they would then go to a place like Walmart and say, if you don't hire seven new black people and give me a board seat and $12 million to sit on the board, I will have a half a million black folks Uh, rise up against you and then the black folks end up with nothing and jesse jackson or al sharpton would end up with a board seat and a major corporation and a bag of cash now alinsky did similar things so as we start to pick this apart we'll figure out if he was just a straight up opportunist now raising money to run these programs nothing wrong with that saul alinsky paying himself if he was successful and he was helping bring people out of poverty he was helping organize poor folks against the system, disenfranchise folks against those that were, you know, stepping on their necks with a boot, then I would say he should be paid handsomely. There's nothing wrong with folks making money for doing a job. He doesn't have to be uh, Mother Teresa here. And even her bills were paid, right, folks? So he doesn't have to be Mother Teresa. But if he's taking all this money under the guise of organizing people to bring them out of poverty. And in the end, he's just locking them into a tighter box uh, and putting them into poverty for eternity. And then he's lining his own pockets. Then obviously that would be a charlatan. That's a grifter folks. And so we'll look at this uh, through that lens as well. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to look at this through the lens of taking a short bathroom break. I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold, the Dustin Gold Standard, right here on Pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Join the discussion at Pain.tv slash gold. 